evening church. Uh, tonight's Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 4, from verses 1 to 14. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 14. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of our Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brendan, for that reading, and our music team for leading us in amazing song. Uh, thank you to God. Um, who gives us resources to do ministry, and thank you to Tidiso who uh, heads up our treasury. Um, just to say a special welcome to all of you. Just the feedback from our wonderful trip that we went to. Uh, so for those who were not here with us last week, um, we were we took a team to Mozambique uh, to fellowship with the our brothers and sisters uh, back that side. Uh, so that was uh, such an encouragement. It's good to see other Christians who live in a different setting, uh, who don't have much, but have a vigor and uh, for a relationship with God. And that's the thing I came away with, that they're so prayerful, um, they're so in love with Jesus, despite not having much, or at least for me coming from Joburg, they don't have much to them. The content. So there was a joy to see that, that um, we went through uh, John's Gospel and it was such a lovely, uh, lovely time uh, together. So continue praying for the work of mission, um, especially in Africa, especially in Midrand uh, and to the ends of the earth in Bumalanga. Um, so <laughs> why don't I pray for us uh, that God will help us as we look at another week of uh, the anatomy of sin. Uh, just um, um, let let me pray and then I'll explain for us what we've uh, been working our way through in the last three weeks. Uh, so please bow your heads as our leaders. Father, thank you so much for an evening like this. Uh, thank you that your word still speaks to us today. And I do pray that wherever we find ourselves, um, whether we Christians who are grappling with sin in our life or somebody who's coming in, who's searching, I pray that we would find grace at the cross, uh, that we would find forgiveness and a new power to go into this week and to live for you. 
Uh, this we pray in your name and for our good. Amen. Um, the anatomy of sin is what we've been looking at for the last three weeks. Uh, and the real reason behind it is not to bash us with the concept of sin, uh, but to really encourage us. Uh, so think of it as uh, that guy uh, on TikTok, uh, that guy who jumped in into the pool, the black guy with a whole bunch of uh, white guys who couldn't swim. And there's somebody who's taking the video saying, Malume, Malume, cheering him on as he swims across to the other side. And that is what scripture is. It is a somebody cheering you on uh, to say, in this struggle uh, against sin, as we live and grapple in Midrand, as we live and grapple against sin, we want to understand it for what it is. Uh, so anatomy means cutting stuff into pieces. Uh, anatomy of sin, we explained in the first week what sin is. Uh, and so we want to grapple with it so as uh, to continue living the Christian life uh, and so as uh, we, uh, so that we can see how it works in us and how to put it to death in our lives. So week one, we saw that sin has deep roots. And unless we uproot it in our lives, unless we dig it up, it will always somebody pull us down. Um, so unless we dig it up, it will pull us down. So sin has deep roots. It is not just the actions that we do. It is a power that is working within us. Week two, we saw that that power is equated to slavery. Uh, that throughout scripture, we see this concept of sin as a form of slavery. And that if you are a believer, you have been rescued from the slavery uh, of sin. And the more you celebrate your way through the freedom you have today, the more you cast away the chains of yesterday. Uh, That's what we saw in week two, that we ought to live celebratory lives, celebrating what God has done and not looking back uh, to our former ways of slavery, to sin, because very often it looks more attractive than our relationship with God. And so this week, we're going to see sin as a predator, a sin as a predator, or as we used to say in the township, predator. <laughs> so I'm going to start off by telling you a story. I was young, in love, and I was dumb. Uh, it was October in 2009. That is um, 13 years back. And uh, at that time, I was dating my now wife. And she was staying in the fancy part of life, which is Auckland Park. And I was staying in Brixton, which is the not-so-fancy uh, part of life. And so those times, uh, Mjolo was uh, quite easy. Um, you could just, you didn't need a car. You could just walk. Um, so we would hang out. Uh, we'll be reminiscing. One day we'll be married We'll have two kids. We'll name one Achi and another one Anea. It was good, beautiful times. We were young, dumb, and in love. And on this one evening in October 2009, we were walking. She was walking me. I don't know why she, she was walking me. <laughs> or we were going to go to our place, get a few guys, and then walk her back to her place. Um, and so we were walking through what is called the Brixton Park. Um, now, this sounds like a romantic story, but um, if you know the geography of, uh, of Jobek, this is a horror story. Um, lo and behold, she said to me, uh, the woman that the Lord gave me, uh, why don't we sit here by the bench in the park and just gaze at the stars? Um, we, remember, we were young, dumb, and in love. And I, th- I thought to myself, man, that's such a, 
a great idea. If you, if you know the, if you know Brixton Park, it is filled with crime. Uh, it is a place where muggings and murder happens. Now, that didn't click to my head. Why? Because I was young, in love, and dumb. Um, and I don't blame her for saying that because she was young, in love, and dumb. And lo and behold, we sat on that bench and I still remember the horror of those two guys coming down from up, uh, up from Brixton and just pouncing us while we didn't expect it. And such is the life of Jobek, isn't it? Uh, that what seemed to be a nice story ended up with a horrific, um, a horrific mugging. I can laugh about it now, but it was traumatic at that point because we were just isolated uh, and in the park, and those guys pounced on us unaware. Uh, we should have known better than to be um, to be there. Um, and so I want to tell this story because I think we. When the Bible uses things like lion as a predator, we don't have that concept in our heads, right? Uh, the only lions we've seen are in cages. Uh, they're not terrifying. Uh, they're stuck there and are locked in there. But I think there's one thing that connects Jobek people is that we live in a jungle out here. Uh, and, there, and so there's two different people in Jobek. There's the rest of us, the prey, and the predators out there. Uh, they blend in so well in society. Uh, that's the thing that connects us. We know the horror of being pounced on, unaware, and mugged. We know the horrors, perhaps you were a student back in Johannesburg, of having to go to downtown uh, and walk your way through that jungle. And if you know anything about that jungle, is you need to ab- adopt a posture of being alert because somebody might just pounce from nowhere and take your phone. We know what it's like to walk the streets of small streets. We, most of us lived in boomed off, uh, communities, um, or complexes. Uh, most of us have electric fences. Here at the church, we have ADT, uh, because we know that there are predators out there just waiting to pounce when we are, uh, are not aware. Most of us, when we drive into New Road, what do we do? That on-ramp onto New Road, you, if the robot is red, you drive slowly. You are led because you know that somebody might just come out of nowhere, knock your window, and steal your stuff. Uh, the predators out there and the prey uh, in us. And so that's kind of a picture of the fear that we should have, or rather the posture that we should have when we think about sin. Uh, sin is um, a predator. Sin is... One of those things that catches us unaware, uh, it isolates us uh, from the rest of the people, and it sometimes, very often, uh, is fatal. In fact, when the Bible speaks of sin and when it warns us about sin, these are the kind of words um, that it employs. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter is warning Christians uh, about living the Christian life. Uh, these are people who are facing very difficult moments and very often pushed to turn away from God. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 9. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 9. 
says, be sober-minded. Notice the posture that you should adopt if you are a Christian. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Being watchful means being alert. And then he talks about um, the adversary, the devil. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is a church that is persecuted. This is a church that is struggling and grappling. Uh, And Peter says to them that they must adopt a posture of being alert. And he uses that powerful imagery of a lion waiting to pounce on a prey. I don't know if you've ever seen those uh, clips on National Geographic of how those lions attack an animal um, as it um, as they move around, uh, how it isolates them and just pounces pounces on them, uh, and it would have evoked emotions of fear in these believers as they thought about their own Christian life uh, and the kind of warning and the weight of the warning uh, that Peter gives them. And another scripture which is what was read for us by Brendan so beautifully, is um, Genesis chapter 4. It's the story of Cain, uh, who grew jealous uh, and ended up killing his own brother. Turn back to chapter 4 if you still have your Bibles open. And notice the language of uh, the predatory nature of sin uh, in the life of Cain. Chapter 4, verse 6, The Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, notice the language sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. The language there is of a prey lying down in wait uh, just to pounce on a, a prey that is um, uh, not suspecting anything. Sin is like that. It's a predator that's ready to pounce. And in the story, we see that sin, uh, sin's results are fatal. Uh, fatal in the fact that uh, Cain's jealousy for against his brother leads him to kill him. But also in the story, what we pick up from the narrator is that Cain also dies in the process. Uh, so two deaths uh, that come from the prey, um, from the predatory nature of sin. Um, Cain is nursing anger. Uh, he's not aware that it is like a predator that's waiting to pounce on him and destroy his life completely. And that's the very nature of sin and how it operates in our lives. Whether it's sins of anger that we harbor, and you feel like, man, if I act on this anger, it will satisfy me. Uh, but Tim Keller says this uh, about sin, that sin is not done with you after you are done with it. Sin is not done with you after you are done with it. Uh, what you don't know, what you and I don't realize, is that when we act and uh, yield ourselves to our sin, um, what we're doing is giving way to a predator that's going to cause death and destroy our life. The death of Cain, um, of Abel rather, and then the death of uh, Cain. So we're going to see two 
different points today, this evening. I'll give you a summary and then two different points. Um, the summary is this. Be on your watch against sin. Like a predator, it will see you in your track. It will isolate you from the pack and pounce on you from the back. Let me say that again. Be on your watch against sin. Like a predator, it will see you on your track. It will isolate you from the pack and pounce on you from the pack, from the back. As you are unaware of it, um, as you are just not even thinking about it, sin will pounce on you. And so we need to be watchful and we're going to find out uh, what ways, what practical ways can we do that? So number one, how is sin a predator? Number two, how do we keep alert um, as prey? Knowing that we are prey, how do we keep alert against the attack of sin? Number one, how does sin work as a predator? Let's have a look at our story just a little bit and how sin works itself out in the life of of Cain as it uh, leads him to kill his own brother. Have a look at chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Um, this is the continuation of the story that we see in um, Genesis uh, chapter 2 and 3 of Adam and Eve, um, our forefathers. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time Cain brought the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock of their fed portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Uh, so here's a story, a classical story of two siblings and a sibling rivalry uh, that takes a turn for the worst. Now in Genesis, there is this theme of the second child always getting the preference, but that's another uh, sermon for another day. Uh, there is something that the narrator of Genesis is trying to teach us and tell us uh, about the kind of people that God chooses. And I'm saying that because we don't know why, and commentators don't know why, God accepted the sacrifice of Abel over and above that of Cain. What we do know for our purposes this evening is that that led uh, Abel, or rather Cain, to be angry against his brother and to fester in that anger. And this anger we know that is not going to end. It's going to take the turn for the worst. He's festering in his anger. Uh, somebody said this about sin, especially, particularly the sin of anger, as it is our passage this evening, that sin by its very nature is more often quiet and secretive than loud and public. For every overt episode of rage, there are Dozens of jealousies, manipulations, white lies, and malicious thoughts, none of which immediately register on the conscious. And none of it immediately registered to Cain that it might lead him to killing his own brother. But what we do see in this story 
is sin that festers and festers, a jealousy that turns into rage, that turns into, have a look at verse 6, uh, as the Lord questions Cain. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin is waiting for him, ready to pounce on him. That sin of anger is waiting at the door uh, to pounce on him and to turn his life upside down. Now, the question for us this evening is, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a space where you were just doing life, ordinary life, but you didn't know that sin was waiting for you at the door. Perhaps you were with your girlfriend in that room alone in the dormitory at rest, but sin was waiting for you, crouching for you at the door. Perhaps you were entrusted with a lot of finances. Um, people trusted you with their money, but sin, the sin of greed was crouching and waiting for you at that door. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there alone on your phone, just minding your own business, not knowing that sin is waiting for you, ready to pounce on you. I know you're not going to say amen to any of those because we're spiritual and we've never experienced those things in our lives, right? Um, amen. Have you ever been there? Cain didn't know uh, what was happening, that this sin of anger and jealousy, or rather this sin of jealousy was going to lead to anger and give birth to something more extreme and fatal. Have a look at verse 8 to 11. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what you have done, what have you done, rather? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you will be, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Uh, the sin of Cain festers and leads him to a place where he kills his brother. And further on we see that it isolates him from his very God. Uh, so this sin, like a predator, was waiting for him, saw him in his tracks, and pounced on him, and dragged him outside of the camp like a predator would do to go off and finish him. Have a look at verse 11. And now you, you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield you its strength, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from the face, from your face rather, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. One of the things we see in Genesis if you go read the story, you'll see that there's lots of similarities with chapter 3, which is the Adam and Eve story. And there's lots of similarities because the story of Cain 
is the story of Adam and Eve, and it is the story of Israel, which is the story of humanity. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, The story of Cain is the story of Adam and Eve. We see that there is a movement from the presence of God. So the story of Adam and Eve begins in the garden in the presence of the Lord. It ends up with the people being cast away um, because of sin in their lives. We see a further movement as you go along in Genesis, away from uh, the presence of God. The story of Abel and Cain and Abel is the story of Adam and Eve, of sin casting us away from the presence of God. It is the story of Israel, because as you read the history of Israel, you see that on and on they fell to sin, to the predatory nature of sin. And what happens? They live in Jerusalem, which is the presence of the Lord, which symbolizes Eden. They move and are cast away from the presence into exile. So that's what we see here. Uh, We see that sin very often promises us, just act on it, and it will be satisfactory. But what ends up happening is that we moved and dragged away, further and further away, from the presence of God. The Bible calls that death. Death is living outside of God's people. Sin sees you, isolates you, and pounces on you and drags you further and further away from God. Be on your watch against it, the Bible would say. God would say to Cain uh, that overcome it. Overcome it. And the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that as Christians, surely sin is too powerful. How do we keep alert as praying? Now let's read two verses from the New Testament. One is from Hebrews 12. Another one is um, that one we read from Peter. Hebrews 12, again, tells us to be alert and to be um, aware as we run this race. Uh, this race of the Christian life, Peter says to Christians that they ought to be alert. We look at chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews. Again, a church that is facing persecution and very difficult moments. This is God's encouragement to them through the writer of Hebrews. If I can just find my way. I'll just read it from my notes. Um, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Other translations say the sin that so easily entangles us. It is um, just again another idea of, of prey that just preys on us and squeezes the life out of us. Have a look at that verse from Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Being sober-minded is like walking the streets of small street. What do you do if you walk there? How many of you have actually walked in small street? Let's see how, how well enough you know Jovic. <laughs> so you know when you walk the streets of um, small street, you don't walk around like this. <laughs> because guess what? Your phone will be no more 
you are alert about your surrounding. You are alert about your life uh, that you're living as a Christian. If you are to be sober-minded and watchful, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Know that this is Satan's devices against you, that he's a predator. Seek him for someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Be watchful against sin. Now, we don't have a lot of time to to unpack those scriptures, but essentially, one of the ways, the key ways of being alert against the predatory nature of sin is through gospel-centered, accountable relationships. Gospel-centered, accountable relationships. That you ought to have people around you in your life that are going to walk their road with you. Because if you're walking alone, you'll far easily fall to pray to predators, isn't it? Um, now let me say what gospel-centered, um, accountable relationships are. It is a place where you meet with Christians. It is a place where sin is taken seriously, where you can come and confess that I'm struggling with such and such a sin. It is a place where grace is celebrated, where if you bring your sin to people, they're not going to laugh at you, they're not going to gossip about it by saying, shucks, man, let's pray for so-and-so. Um, I heard that he's struggling with such and such a thing. That is gossip, isn't it? The accountable, gospel-centered accountable relationships are a place where sin is confessed, where grace is celebrated, as other Christians remind you that at the cross there is grace. It is a place where repentance happens because if John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you, one of the ways we kill sin is by confessing it. Because when we confess it, it loses its power over our lives. Confession of sin, confessing it not just to God. Somebody said, why can't I just confess it to God? Yes, you should do that. But God has put means of grace, which is the Christian community, where we display the grace of God in action, where you confess your sin and somebody reminds you that you are forgiven because of what Jesus has done at the cross. Those are what gospel accountable relationships are. What they are not is they're not places where we mutually confess our sins so that we say, that's fine. <laughs> and very often that happens, isn't it? In the Christian life, I've been uh, part of many accountability groups. Um, sometimes we get to a stage where we confess and we're all struggling with the same thing. Therefore, we become, we affirm each other in our sin. So nobody ever says, you need to stop doing that. You need to repent and turn to Jesus. Gospel-centered relationships take sin seriously. It's not a place where we mutually affirm our sins. It is not a place of condemnation where somebody would say, how could you do that? It is a place of grace. It's not a place where, and I think this is a, middle-class Christian struggle where we hide in our theology 
and hide in our fancy, just superficial relationships. Come together, we read the Bible together. Shucks, I love verse 7. It says such and such. Oh, like, this is wonderful. I read Gruden the other day, uh, and you flex your theological muscles to the other people to show them how much you know the Bible, but it never moves from that to shucks. I'm actually struggling with pornography. Gospel-centered relationships get deeper than our theological engagements. It is not a place of being satisfied with superficial, how you're doing, I'm, I'm blessed, I'm good, let's carry on and let's go on living our lives without bringing our sins to each other. Amen. Now let me tell you how that happens here at CCM. One of the key ways that gospel-centered, accountable relationships happen is through our live groups. So I would encourage you to join one. Um, we encourage you to join a live group because it's in a live group where sin is not going to have the better of you because you're not alone. You're working with Christians. It is in one-to-one relationships. You meet somebody at live group and you're like, I like you. I think we should have coffee sometime. Let's take this thing to the next step, right? Uh, hopefully, same-sex relationships, right? Amen? Amen. One-to-one relationships are between people of the same gender um, because we want to get deep and be naked with each other uh, to bring our sins before each other and hope that because of the grace of Jesus, when you get naked, nobody's going to laugh at you because we're all struggling and because at the cross of Jesus, we all find grace. Amen. That's CCM. There's live groups. There's one-to-one relationships. And perhaps being alert is adopting a a mindset that says, I'm going to, if I'm not part of a life group, I want to find out what, what that's about. If I am part of a life group, I want to come with a certain mindset. I want to show up. I want to come every week because sin thrives in isolation. I want to make sure that even in moments where work is tough, I don't feel like going, I'm going to go. But I'm also going to be intentional with wanting to go deeper with people, with wanting to go deeper with other Christians. I'm not just satisfied with superficial relationships. That's where they begin, but they ought to at some stage get deeper. I'm going to show up, show up, and show up naked. Now, here's the question. (laughs) How do you possibly do that? How do you step up with such vulnerability? Um, Well, if you notice the verses that we read, the verse in Hebrews says he calls, I nearly said Paul, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, but he calls Christians to do something and then he calls them to a motivation, right? Do this, let us throw off sin by looking to Jesus who is the author and perfecter of your faith. It is not possible to be alert. It is not possible to move into deeper relationships without recognizing and looking to Jesus. Listen again to uh, Peter as he points these Christians to something greater than themselves. Uh, In verse 10 of chapter 5, he says, After you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you 
to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God is at work in leading us, in helping us to do the things that he's called us to do, to step into vulnerable relationships. Why is that? Because we know that at the cross, we will find forgiveness for our sin. At the cross, sin will not have power over us as a predator because one who is greater than us has put it to death. At the cross, I can step into relationships and say, I'm struggling with such and such because I know that I've been forgiven. The only motivation for you and I to step into those relationships is because we know that the God, um, the God of our Lord Jesus has done it all so that we can step into what he has done for us. And as Peter says, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for God to help us. As we reflect back on the last three weeks, the different layers of sin, and hopefully you picked up something that will help you live the Christian life. Um, so let's pray that God would do that in us. Father, thank you so much for this, your word. Thank you that through scripture we see ourselves in the lives of those who failed. But most of all, we see your grace in the life of him who conquered. Who conquered the power of sin that runs deep in our lives who conquered the power and the slavery of sin and freed us, who put to death this predator called sin, destroyed the works of the enemy, and calls us to relationships of repentance and faith. I pray that you would make us more and more into that community, Lord. Thank you so much for all that is happening in the life of the church, um, in small groups, I pray, Father, that those would be places where sin is dealt with and where we are week in, week out, made a let of its power that is still working. I pray specifically, Lord, for somebody who may not consider themselves Christians, that they would see that our behavior is something much deeper than um, the surface level stuff that they would come to the end of themselves and come to trust Jesus as Lord and as Savior, as one who would rescue them from sin. Thank you for the last three weeks. I pray that you would use it to empower somebody to live the Christian life this week. To the praise of your glory. Amen.